Y'all have been praying about this sermon series for months. And I knew that this moment was going to hit where a lot of people are transitioning, a lot of people are headed out for a season, and I just felt like this was a strategic moment for us to look to the Word of God and set a vision in front of our eyes for what this summer is going to look like. And so I want to tell you, our brand new sermon series is called The Way. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, don't get in the way. Don't get in the way, all right? Unless it's the way of Jesus, okay? It's called The Way, and this series is all about listening and responding to the voice of God. Listening and responding to the voice of God. Y'all, we overcomplicate Christianity so much. The simplicity of what Jesus invites followers into is summed up in the Gospel of John when he says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and respond to what I say. We've studied sheep a lot in our time together as a church. Some of you who are seniors graduating, it was your freshman year of college that I got in front of you and preached a sermon called, I'm a sheep. And we believe that the pathway against anxiety looks like embracing your own neediness as a sheep. Sheep can't defend themselves. They can't find sustenance. They can't even control the growth of fur on their own bodies. Okay, they need help for every little detail of their lives in so many ways. They are basically a victim of nature except for this. They have amazing ears. And they have ears that are created to be tuned into a particular voice. If you go to Israel, even now to this day, and pay attention to what happens when a shepherd opens their mouth, you can tell which individual is the shepherd and which individual is an imposter or another voice. And the sheep will never respond to any other voice other than the voice of the shepherd. And when Jesus said that in John, he was inviting you into a journey of following him. He called himself the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, listen, my voice is your guide. Could it be possible that we have overcomplicated Christianity so much so that we are anxious about things that God never called us to be anxious about? He simply wanted our pursuit of him to be the pursuit of being close enough to him to still hear his voice and see his face. And so what we need to do is simplify things a little bit and just simply ask the question, what is Jesus saying to you today? And if the voice of God and the vision of God is the word of God given to us, the Holy Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, we actually get invited into a journey more than we get a set of beliefs that we ascribe to or a prayer that we repeat word for word after. This is a journey. And when I say the way of Jesus, I'm actually calling Christianity what it was originally called 2,000 years ago. You know, 2,000 years ago, the first people to call Christians Christians were non-Christians making fun of Christians. They were like, oh, those little Christ. That's what it means, little Christ, which is not a bad name. That's what we want to be. We want to be manifestations of the life of Jesus on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But do you know what Christians called themselves 2,000 years ago? Followers of the way. I love that. They were followers of the way of a rabbi. And this is something contextually that's so hard for us to understand, but you need to know this. Christianity was not a religion 2,000 years ago. It was a relationship that was set on following after a particular Jewish rabbi who was obscure enough to call himself the way, the truth, and the life, to claim he was the only way to God and then die and rise from the dead and then say his life is available to live on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when he ascended into heaven, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. Stay here. Wait in Jerusalem. But here's your job. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to go do what? Start churches. Nope. You're going to go do what? Make converts, get people to agree with what you believe. You're going to go and make disciples. 
How in the world would they have a context for even knowing what that means? Because they already were disciples. And so they're spending years following after Jesus and doing what? For three and a half, sometimes people would say four years following Jesus around. What were they doing? They were staying close enough to him so they could hear his voice and learn from him and apply what he said to their lives. That was their entire reality. They gave up everything to go, okay, we're just going to be around you enough to base our lives on what you teach and be transformed over time into becoming more like you so that here's what would happen 2,000 years ago. When a rabbi invited followers to follow him, the idea was that after a certain amount of time, those individual disciples could start making disciples on their own if they became mature enough. Y'all, that's not the model for expert-level Christianity, This is Christianity 101. This is what every believer in Jesus is called to. And so I think we need to reframe the word Christian and call it the way of Jesus, the way it was supposed to be called 2,000 years ago. And we need to frame in your mind, what does it mean to walk in the way of Jesus? It means three things, and you can write these down. It means being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have basically said, My whole life is done, I surrender, and the most important ambition I have as the mission of my life is doing these three things all the time. And we in this room, most of us would look at that list and go, people who actually do that are like the five-star Christians. These are the amazing, high-level, really serious about their faith people. Here's what you need to understand. Biblically, this is just what it means to be a follower of the way. This is just what it means to say, okay, Jesus is my rabbi. He's the one who I trust. He's the one who I believe in. And so I'm going to spend my life doing what? Being with him. It means the number one ambition of your day every day is to make sure you're close enough to Jesus to still hear his voice and to base your life on what he says. And here's what happens. When the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, if you apply what Jesus says to your life, you are actually transformed over time to look more and more like Jesus in a way where you're going to be having more joy and more hope and more peace than you have before. You're going to be walking in obedience in ways that you never saw possible before. You're going to literally see the resurrection power of Jesus coming alive in your life. And that's why I get in front of our church all the time and go, listen, I can't put you in a time machine and take you back 2,000 years ago and go, look, he died. And oh, look, he's alive. I can't. But I can point to real people all over this room and all over the world who have been supernaturally transformed by the power of Jesus. And you see that happening in their life. And it's not a perfect process, but graduation level looks like number three. When your life becomes the life of Jesus all over the world, that wherever you go, the gospel is preached. Wherever you go, the hopeless find hope. Wherever you go, peace goes out to people who are living in turmoil. Wherever you go, peace comes to relationships that are stuck in discord. And no one is called to do this perfectly, but every Christian is called to go on this journey. So everybody look up here and don't miss this. Here's what I want to do. I want us collectively as a faith family to think about the next three months. And I want us to base the next three months of our lives solely focusing on these three things, being with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And the reason why I say three months is because you hit early May, and there's a tendency, especially in Auburn, to like inhale a little bit and go, okay, school's getting out, things are coming to an end, we got summer, we got trips, we got a chance to get away, I'm going to go to that lake church and park my boat out there, like that sounds awesome. And it's like, it's like this illusion of a break, 
And what I've found way too often in my life is I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get to read all these books. I'm going to get to sit and soak in the presence of God. Here's what happens. I get distracted. The enemy grabs the next three months. August is here. A new school year is starting. I don't even really know what just happened. Here's what I want you to do right now. Your future doesn't end up different unless you set a decision with intention. Decisions create futures. I want you to think about August right now. Some of you think about where you're going to live in August. Some of you are like, good, I don't even know that. Thanks for making me more anxious. This is supposed to be a series about finding peace. Think about what your life is going to look like in early August. Go ahead and go there in your mind. If you're here in Auburn, we're getting ready for a new football season at that point, which I think this fall, because of COVID the last couple of years, I just think this fall is going to be insane in Auburn. I think the level of energy and excitement that we're about to experience is going to be unbelievable. Think about if you have kids, okay, school's almost coming to an end, and you want me to think about school starting? I can't go there. I need you to go there because I need you to know this. The decisions that you make today will form the person who exists then. And you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised three months from now. No one is. But if you can just go there in your mind and ask the question, what is going to form me over the course of the next three months? And I want this summer to be a time for spiritual maturity to become the norm here. So wherever you are in your journey, my heart for our church, y'all, I spend so much time thinking about you guys. I spend so much time thinking about what God's doing in college students and in families and in children and in every life season and community groups. And I sit before the Lord and I, 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 I pray out loud that God would do something in and through your life and that you would take ownership over your faith. And my heart for our church right now is for spiritual maturity to become more normal than it is something that's kind of, whoa, look at that. They're an expert. Y'all, if we're walking around with mature followers of Jesus who are doing what Jesus did, that's when we are going to have the capacity to change the world. But it happens when you go, my number one priority as I go into this season is to make sure I've carved out the space to be with Jesus, that I've placed a priority on becoming more like Jesus and that I'm doing what Jesus did and the common ground that we all have. Some of you have been following Jesus for multiple decades. Some of you just got baptized. You've been following Jesus for a couple of weeks and that's awesome. Wherever you are on your journey, your next step is the same. It's whatever the last thing Jesus told you to do is. Here's what's sad about this room right now. If I stood face to face with every single one of you and asked the question, what's the last thing Jesus told you to do? Well, what's the last thing God said to you? The vast majority of you would not be able to answer quickly. Now, I get that because you don't want to like flippantly say, God told me this. God said that. I get that. Totally. Be careful. Definitely want to discern the voice of God and the will of God. But if we've been given the Holy Spirit... By the Son of God who has said, come follow me and be discipled over time. I believe he's speaking. And I believe he has very clear directions that he wants to give us. Not just about what we're supposed to do with our lives, but about who he calls us to be. And it's sad. It's actually a tragedy for me to stand up here and know that so many of you are unsure about what God's saying to you right now. And I don't think you're unsure because God's not speaking. I think you're unsure because your life is so loud. I think you're unsure because you've placed your attention in all the wrong places, and we need to reorient this summer. We need to look back at the Word of God and go, okay, if this is the way of Jesus, what is He saying to me? And I'm telling you, whatever space you create for God to fill, He will fill it. Okay, this is a biblical principle, and I truly believe this about the presence of God. 
I would not get up here and teach this about finances or provision or supernatural miraculous healings, although I believe God provides all those things in amazing ways. But this is a principle I believe you can take to the bank about the presence of God. God will fill whatever space you create for his presence. You create this much room for God, he'll fill it. But you start to expand the amount of time and the amount of attention that God gets. This is why when we did 21 days of prayer and fasting, what happened? God moved in your life. He can move now. You just created more space then. And so it's about in every season making the room to go, God, the most important ambition I have for my life is to walk in the way of Jesus and to make sure I'm able to hear what you are saying. And so every week of this series, I want you guys to tune in. Even if you're not here physically, I want you to tune in online because every week we're going to be putting in front of you how we as a church are called to walk in the way of Jesus. And we're actually going to start with one of the most convicting passages in the whole Bible. For some of you, this is sad because it's your last Bible drill and it's your last chance. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. I'm going to hold them up all over this place. All right. If... You are not single. Turn with me to James chapter one. Everybody else, final opportunity before summer. You wanna write in each other's journals, hags. Turn with me to James chapter one. James chapter one, verse 19. Remember when you used to sign people's yearbooks? Remember when that was a thing? Anybody still do that? There's some things about life a few decades ago that were just better. That was one of them. James chapter 1, verse 19. Okay, I got to tell you about James. James is after the book of Hebrews. It's close to the end of your Bible. But James is actually the first book of the New Testament. Don't let that throw you off. It's not the first thing that happens in the New Testament. It's the first written letter. So the Bible is not organized chronologically. It's organized according to genre, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So if your Bible was just organized based on when was something written in order, James would be the first thing you would see in the New Testament. Now, obviously, you need the gospel accounts to be able to know all that James is talking about, but those gospel accounts weren't compiled until later in the story. James is the immediate response to the dispersion of the church from Jerusalem all over the world because of persecution. And so James is the half-brother of Jesus who writes with no nonsense and pure conviction. Don't go near James if you feel like getting a softball spiritually, okay? If you feel like, you know, I just need something easy, make me feel good about the way I'm living lately. Don't you go anywhere near James. James will come after you. He will get up in your business and then get closer. Uh, He will mess with you. James is so practical. And over and over again through this letter, James is calling believers to basically what it means to practically take what the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has accomplished to you and live it out in real time through real relationships. And in James chapter 1, verse 19, we have a passage of scripture that I would say is one of the most needed passages over our world, our culture, and our country right now. James chapter 1, verse 19, if you're there, say, I'm there. It says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. How many times does that happen in scripture where somebody says, write this down, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's the word of God. Go back to the beginning. We need to look at this. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is the way of Jesus. The only time you are called to be in a hurry as a disciple of Jesus is to be in a hurry to put your listening ears on and tune into what Jesus is saying. Be quick. That's rare. Usually the Bible's trying to get you to slow down. The Bible's trying to get you to change the pace a little bit and like breathe long enough to allow the presence of Jesus. But James is actually saying, you should be in a hurry to listen. You should make sure your life is in a posture of listening. And, and this word listen, this is not talking about listening in order to respond. This is talking about listening in order to understand. There's a difference between the two. You ever had a conversation with somebody who was listening to you? But more than they were listening to you, they were thinking about what they're going to say after you're done talking. And then you're doing the same thing right back to them. As soon as they start talking, you're replicating it with more listening in order to respond. And what's happening in that dialogue is there's not really true, deep, authentic connection happening there. It's just surface level thoughts getting bounced back and forth over and over again. For the vast majority of you, that is your prayer life. Because you don't listen to God to understand you listen to respond. You listen to know your marching orders of what you have to say next and what you want to interject. And listen, God wants to hear your requests. He wants to hear your anxieties. But there is a discipline that comes from getting in the presence of God and going, I'm going to be slow to speak. And this is not just talking about relationships with other people. I believe this starts with our relationship with God. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. I want to hear what you have to say. And we're going to come back to that next part because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness, but I'm going to skip it for now. He goes down to say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's me so many times. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. The word of Jesus going out has its effect on the other side of acting through obedience. So when all you have is a sermon, when all you have is a time of reading and reflecting, when all you have is a time of journaling, but there's never really the activity of taking the step to do what God has called you to do, don't be surprised if you have a relationship with Jesus that's void of the power that is claimed in the New Testament of the Bible. The power is in the obedience, and I believe the love is in the obedience. And so here's spiritual maturity for you. Spiritual maturity is a healthy combination of doing both of these things listening to what God says, and doing it. And when you start to combine those two ingredients in your relationship with Jesus, do not be surprised if you're graduating to a level of doing what Jesus did and being transformed into the image of Jesus. But you need both. You gotta be quick to listen and in that posture of God speak to me, and you also gotta be quick to obey and act on what you heard in the presence of God. And the reason why so many of us are spiritually unhealthy right now is because we veer toward extremes on one side or the other of this equation. 
When God says, be quick to listen, some of us are so stuck in the listening phase that we're becoming spiritually overweight. And we spend our whole lives consuming and consuming and consuming what God has to say, not realizing that true life is found on the other side of contributing to the kingdom of God. Come on, I know that this past year, it has been so uncomfortable for some of you to start attending the church that you watched on YouTube during COVID. I know that. Like it was fine when you were in your living room on Sundays and the whole world was in their living room, but then you became bold enough to actually come here. And now you're hearing the sermons and you're hearing the songs, you're singing the songs and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Here's the thing. We are letting you down if we don't call you to start acting on what you are hearing from the word of God. And so you will, end up, you will end up in a place where so many Christians are, particularly in this country, where it's just the next podcast, it's the next book, it's the next sermon, and you don't realize how unhealthy that is for you spiritually. It's the same way with getting healthy physically. You need healthy input and output. But if all you have is intake but no exercise, you're going to end up unhealthy. In the same way, on the other side of that, if all you have is activity but no input, you're going to end up impoverished. And so on both sides of this, we need to realize the balance between the two. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about people who just listen to the word of God. He said, the, he could have been she, I don't know. Oh, whoop, just got controversial. Though by this time, sorry guys, let me just announce to you what I think so I don't get any emails. This is Paul, okay? Though, my opinion, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I don't say this to just bother you and make you feel guilty about how lazy you've been spiritually. I say this in love. Paul is talking to a church and he's going, I'm, I'm blown away because some of you should be my main people. Some of you should be teaching. Some of you should be hosting and leading the community group, not praying about whether or not to join it. Some of you should be teaching others about tithing, not leading the way and tipping. Some of you should be paving the way for this church to take our next steps, not sitting on the sidelines going, I'm still, you know, getting comfortable with the whole raised hands, contemporary music thing. And listen, as long as you're in that phase, that's great. We can't wait for you to graduate to solid food. We cannot wait for you to start to eat the meal that has been placed in front of you. But that happens on the other side of combining listening with doing. I don't know what the next step is for you. I know what happens on the other side of God speaking to you. It could be serving. It could be a conversation. It will be uncomfortable. And what Jesus does to his disciples, particularly during that period, is he continues to call them outside of their comfort zone because he knows spiritual growth never happens where someone's comfortable. Spiritual growth never occurs when you're like, my life's exactly the way I want it, and I am just straight chilling on this beach. That's great. But God does his best work when we are on the move, living for the mission of God, because here's what I found in my life. Consuming makes you more empty contributing makes you more full. When I spend weeks at a time of just noticing, wow, all I'm doing lately is consuming. I'm consuming through friendships. I'm consuming food. I'm consuming sports. I'm just consuming all this content, social media, and I'm just taking in, taking in, taking in, and I'm not really replicating and living a life of production on the outside. What do I feel? Emptiness. You know you're empty, not by how full you get when you consume something. It's by how quickly you become empty and need the next filling. You know you're empty when you live your whole life just going, I need the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. 
But when you taste fullness in Jesus, that leads to an outpouring. And that outpouring doesn't leave you empty. That outpouring actually makes you want to be filled again because abundant life comes from knowing Jesus. Now, there is a danger on the other side of this. Like I said, James is talking to people. You can't just listen to what the word says. You've got to put it into use. But I would say he did say be quick to listen. And what I've found to be the case with people who do a lot of actions spiritually is they do a lot of doing and they start doing very little listening. And over time, they develop a level of emptiness that's not an emptiness from becoming spiritually overweight, it's an emptiness from becoming spiritually impoverished. Where now, your soul is empty, why? Because God's power through you will deplete you if God's love doesn't refill you. God's, I've found this to be true so many times in my life. It's why I preach less than I used to. It's why I'm taking more time to actually let God speak to me before I assume that God wants me to say this and say this and say that and go serve here and go do this. And so what I found in my soul over the course of these seven years together as a church is if all I'm doing is pouring out, the cup gets empty eventually if both are not at a healthy level. And so doers, this summer, God may be calling you to use this magical spiritual word called no. And God may be calling you away from travel ball. God may be calling you away from spending your whole life overcommitted and overwhelmed. Because you think, you think, oh, this summer's going to fix everything because we don't have school. Parents in the room, you know, you will fill that time with something else. You will fill your whole life so much so that you go, okay, I can't, I can't really discern what the presence of God is saying to me. And so I think we got listeners and I think we got doers, but here's what I want to do. I want to ask these two questions for the next three months and we'll put them up on the screen. I want you to write these down and ask them over your life. I want you to get before God and I want you to write the answer this week. Don't just ask the question today. Write the answer. How am I intentionally creating space to listen to God? And what action do I need to take to walk in obedience to God? These are our questions guiding the way of Jesus. How am I intentionally creating space to listen to God? Because if you don't do it, the space will be occupied. And if I could say so humbly to you, nothing in your life is of higher value than making sure you are personally discerning the voice of God. Oh, I'm just looking at some of you and I want this so bad for you. You really think that it takes a spiritual degree to hear from God the way I hear from God. You really think that for some of these people, it's, it's on the other side of enough obedience to prove yourself to God. I am telling you, Jesus wants to speak to you more than you want him to speak to you. If that were not true, he wouldn't have come before you asked him to. Jesus wants to move. He is like on the edge of his seat in heaven, waiting for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the thing that he has said again and again and again. And he's not anxious. He's not frustrated. He's not disappointed. He's just yearning for you to create the space where you can actually discern and watch this, act on what is revealed. So when you get spiritual clarity from God, that clarity is never 100% because it wouldn't involve faith. God gives enough clarity to take the next step, but not enough certainty to eliminate faith. So he gives clarity to go, okay, I'm taking a step. I don't really know what's on the other side of this step and this step. Guys, the way of Jesus is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, not headlights for the next five years. Okay? So you might be like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know how this is going to lead us down there and down there. And Jesus is going, I'm not really trying to lead you to do that. I'm just trying to get you to like take this next step right here. And as you go on the journey... What if your trust from Jesus didn't have to leave this day, today? 
Like today will be more than enough. That's how the disciples had to live. And that is exactly what the Christian life was like 2,000 years ago. There are, I, I don't like when people take the book of Acts and go, we should live the book of Acts now. It's like, no, if, you, if we were supposed to do that, we would live in that time period. Like some of that is just a bad interpretation of the Bible. But some of it is helpful. And, 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 and the part that I think we miss is the focus on our daily bread, especially because we have so much abundance in our country and in our culture. Jesus, what's, what's enough for me to take this next step of faith? And you've been complaining at Jesus about taking this step because you want the certainty about what's going to happen 10 years from now. And he's going, yeah, still love you. Not going to give you that. And in order for us to get there, you got to take this one. And once you take this one, I promise you, I will light your way. I'm ready for bold faith to rise up as a norm here. Oh, I, I just got so excited thinking about where we're going as a faith family. I'm freaking out excited because I'm ready to do something. I was about to say I'm ready to do something stupid. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I'm ready to do something crazy for the glory of God again. I'm so tired of being stuck in what God did then. I'm ready to look toward the future and go, you want to write a new story. And, and I know faith stories should be told out loud. And we're, we've been doing a lot of that lately. We talked about that last week. Baptisms were what they are. And God loves the stories of his faithfulness in your past. But he's so much more excited about what's right in front of you and what he wants to write into this next season. And would you just believe by faith and would you step into it and say yes to it? Even if, even I don't like that word, but for some of you to the people around you, the steps that you're called to take by faith will look foolish to some people around you. But if you don't look different than everybody else around you, you're not a follower of the way of Jesus. You're a cultural Christian. So let's be crazy. Let's do something different and let's let God be the one who makes that call. Okay, so that's my sermon. And... I had it totally complete. I'm like, that is, that is good. Like, we need to listen, and we need to do, and we need to combine those two things to be spiritually healthy. And I want to set us up for the next three months to say yes to what God has for us. And I, I was done. I was like, well, it's faster than normal. People get to brunch. It'll be great. But, but then God showed me something in the passage that I read that I was like, it literally physically knocked me on my face when I read it. And it made sense to me. And this is what I want to leave you with before we declare the faithfulness of God out loud. Go back to James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What's striking to me about this passage is it's a word-for-word -word command to replicate something about the very nature of God. So if you weren't here for the message, trusting God's heart, you need to listen to that one. It's about Yahweh, when God reveals his name, and he names these characteristics about him. They're not even characteristics. They're just the true nature of who God is. So who is your God? The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. And all through the Bible, you will read this description about Yahweh, and Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, by the way. He's slow to 
anger. And now James is going, hey, that characteristic about who he is is supposed to be what defines your life and your story. And the reason why this one's so personal for me is you guys know I get in front of you all the time and I make you really uncomfortable, like telling you to think about your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and overcome the generational sin that's been passed down to you. And it's super awkward if you're sitting next to your parents because you're like, sorry, I gotta overcome your issues. And, but we all have issues. We all inherited stuff. But for me personally, taking inventory of my family, particularly the male side of my family, my great-grandfather immigrated here from Italy And so I have this heritage that I'm super proud of and I'm super grateful for. But one of the things that I never took account for was how much anger has become the norm passed down to me. And you'll never really realize what's been passed down to you until you get married and until you start having kids. You do those two things, you're like, oh, I'm my parents. It's awesome. And so I'm finding in myself this fuse so short my girls. So short with Courtney. So short with our staff. Matt, don't amen that. It's so, like, it's like, what is happening to me? And so I've I've read every passage, Genesis to Revelation, that talks about how God is slow to anger. There's a lot of them. And so my prayer over the last couple of months has been, God, make that thing that's true about you, make that the thing that's true about me and transform me by the power of Jesus. Here's what God spoke to me, and I know it's not everybody's situation, but this one will speak to every situation. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Why does he say that? Like That doesn't have anything to do with the command that you just gave. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. And I'm like, okay, we were talking about like listening to the voice of God and we're talking about like being quick to listen to other people, not being quick to, you know, get angry. Why, why does it matter that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires? It's because in this moment, James wants you to remember that when you discern the voice of God, you're not discerning a voice that's in a hurry to get you to a location of maturity. You're discerning a voice that's rooted in a level of patience that you will never really understand. Watch, do the inverse. If human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires, what does produce the righteousness that God desires? What's the opposite of human anger? Godly patience. In your journey of following Jesus, no matter which season you're in, or if you even have a relationship with Jesus, you need to look at me today. Jesus' voice is inviting you to come on a journey from here forward. He is not the slightest bit mad or frustrated or angry at the number of times you haven't listened. He's not on his last nerve. He's not at the very end of his rope going, I have given so many chances and I'm ready to drop the other foot. He's so different than you. And he knows that what produces the righteousness that God desires is a level of patience to where he'll give you the same command to walk by faith for years, watching you ignore it, and he won't even raise his voice. He's just, okay, another chance. So as you're listening to me today, I'm watching some of you tune me out for the last 34 minutes because you're going, I'm not, I don't even have a journey. 
or I did have one, but I've been so out of this for so long. Here's what you need to know. God is never thinking about where you have been. He is always in this moment thinking about where you're going. So there's, I just got to tell you, there's nothing about God that's living in the opportunities that you blew in the past. There's nothing about Jesus that's in front of you today going, okay, we got a lot to work on in your story. I got to make a masterpiece out of this mess because you said no here and here and here and here. He's in this moment again going, I'm here. It's a new day. My mercies are new. Every morning I got a new story. I want to write in it through your life and it's available today. Come on, God is so awesome. He's so much better than we give him credit for and he's so much more patient than we've ever understood with a human relationship. So would you let the patience of God draw you in today? Would you stop pretending like you don't wanna follow God because you have scientific objections? That is a mask for the fact that you have hardened your heart. Would you stop pretending like this Jesus thing is just this weird thing for radical Christians who talk as loud as I'm talking right now? You know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right where you are. And your response has to, how do you respond to a love that's that patient? Okay, you're gonna give me my thousandth chance to listen to what you're saying and experience this journey by faith. If you've been living safe your whole life, it's time for a dangerous adventure of following the Son of God. You can put your notes away. Let's stand up all over this room. We're gonna sing a song that I hope is a marker moment. I hope this is a bookmark Sunday for so many of you. And it proclaims our availability to God. We've been living in this song all school year. We felt like this was a fitting way for many of you to go out saying, God, I hear you calling and I'm available to actually activate faith. And maybe you sang this song months ago. Maybe you meant these words and you didn't really act on faith. It's okay. We're in this moment right now. Would you bow your head all over this room? If you're here today and you want to start a relationship with God, I got good news. God's already started a relationship with you. He sent Jesus for you. You need to say yes in this moment and pray a simple prayer. You need to pray, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose. And I believe you're coming again. You'll never be the same. Heavenly Father, I have no idea what every man, woman, guy, or girl within the sound of my voice is carrying right now. But I do know in the name of Jesus that you are moving us towards something new. And so I pray for faith to rise up in this place to embolden us for your glory. I pray for faith to rise up in and through people who have been living on the safe side for too long. God, help us to be quick to listen. Help us to discern your voice and help us to know today that you have been so patient with us and you invite us into something new. Thank you, God, that you are slow to anger. I ask you, would you say the thing that you said to somebody years ago? Would you say it again? Would you whisper it again? And would you give them another opportunity to say yes? God, this is your moment. Say whatever you want to say. Our hearts are available. In Jesus' name, amen.